The last page has been turned in my most recent read, a beloved and comforting book that I always pick up when I'm ill. And oh boy, best laid plans and all that. This is not how I wanted to start the new year. However, it appears that COVID had other ideas and instead of writing and recording, I've been laid up with zero energy, very little drive and absolutely no voice. In fact, I'm going to apologise now if at any point my voice sounds croaky or nasal, but this is as good as it gets. So here I am a week later than originally anticipated. No spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I visit a world where a small troop of CIA recruits are battling the rise of a power-hungry oligarch, unaware that one of their own is in his employ. Yes, this week I am talking spies and conspiracies in the debut novel from mysterious author Ellie Conway. This week, we must talk about Argyle. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, and long-term depression sufferer. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. I'm not sure how it's happened, but we're almost already at the end of January. So belated happy 2024. I hope that so far it's been a great one and is building up to be even better. I think that Argyle is a pretty good one to start the year off with. A book shrouded in mystery, the author's identity one filled with conspiracy theories and so much speculation. Many still believe that Ellie Conway is actually a pseudonym for the multi-talented Taylor Swift, though I honestly still couldn't identify a song of hers unless someone told me what it was. A luxury train speeding towards Moscow and a date with destiny. A CIA plane downed in the jungles of the Golden Triangle. A Nazi horde entombed in the remote mountains of southwest Poland. A missing treasure, the eighth wonder of the world, lost for seven decades. One Russian magnate's dream of restoring a nation to greatness has set in motion a chain of events which will take the world to the brink of chaos. Only Francis Coffey, the CIA's most legendary spymaster, can prevent it. But to do so, she needs someone special. Enter Argyle, a troubled agent with a tarnished past, who may just have the skills to take on one of the most powerful men in the world, if only he can save himself first. The story begins with Irina Fedorov getting a pedicure. She's in Siberia with her husband, and it's clear from the very start that she is not only a pretty nasty person, but also that she's comfortable in her wealth and the power that it gives her over people. We then finally meet our hero, but he's not in Siberia. Instead, he is in a shack somewhere in Thailand, relaxing when he notices a plane crashing. Knowing that whoever is on this plane is going to be in danger from the drug cartels that patrol the jungle, he heads to rescue them, though it's not immediately clear why he feels the need to interfere. 
This rescue mission puts him on the CIA's radar, especially that of Frances Coffey, who sends one of her experienced agents to investigate Argyle and make him an offer he probably shouldn't refuse. But after completely destroying Wyatt's cover, much to the agent's annoyance, he decides to stay put, until he discovers that his life is at risk from the cartel whose plans he destroyed. So off he heads to America, and ignoring a few hiccups, he's sent off to train to become a CIA agent. There are a few obligatory team bonding moments, the classic no one likes this guy moments and the obvious this guy has to be great he saved someone's life moment. All the while Argyle is training to be the best of the best of the best. Over in Russia, powerful business magnate Vasily Fedorov has been staking his claim on Russia declaring he is going to restore the country to its former glory, courtesy of his mission to discover and recover the missing Amber Room, which was once a symbol of status and glory for Queen Catherine the Great. He is willing to do anything in order to ensure that his mission is successful and doesn't care how much it costs him, financially at least, which is evidenced when he pays way over the odds for a bracelet at an auction, for this bracelet is no ordinary piece of jewellery. It's part of the key to discovering what happened to the Amber Room when it was stolen at the end of World War II. Coffee is sending Argyle and his new group of co-workers on a mission to retrieve the bracelet that Fedorov won during the auction. The rumours are rife about his mission to return incredible power to the Russians and that is not something that America wants. So they are going to have to go to some great lengths to ensure it doesn't happen. What the team doesn't realise is that there is a spy in their midst. No one knows who it is, but given how many times they have been cut off at the pass, it's clear that someone is sending messages back to Fedorov. But who is it? And what is their motive for betraying their country? Before we get to the third act, Traitor Revelation, there are a few clues as to their identity. But I have to be honest, until I actually discovered who they were, I didn't really notice these clues at all. It's only when I found out that I realised, oh, so that's what they meant. And more importantly, oh, now that actually makes sense. How did I miss it? Anyway, this is all about two bracelets, various stunning and exotic locales, and finding something that's been missing for almost 80 years before the rich Bond villain does. And it's also obvious, at least when finished, that this book has been written with a franchise in mind. Though whether that will happen or not, not only depends on the success of the film, but the sales of this book once the clever marketing ploy is swept away. Though we're only a few weeks into the new year, big releases have already started to hit the shelves, and Argyle was one of them, having made its debut in the UK on the 4th of January and in the US on the 9th. Of course, there are plenty of books I am eager for, including Sunbringer, Can't Spell Treason Without Tea, The Book of Doors, The Antique Hunter's Guide to Murder, Piglet and Medea. And that's just a few of the books I have on pre-order and cannot wait to add to my collection. I also had a bit of a splurge at the very beginning of this year, 
two sequels, a selection of cosy mysteries, including a lot of Agatha Christie novels, and a few romances that are the perfect palate cleansers when I'm about to hit a dreaded slump, and I always have to have some of those at hand. Of course, there are still plenty of incredible books on my many shelves to enjoy, with some of them spending more time there than perhaps they should. I have promised myself that this year I am going to do myself a massive favour as a reader, and that is not forcing myself to read books I am not enjoying. I've actually seen that DNFing books that aren't quite cutting the mustard is a goal for many readers this year. All too often I think I'm doing a good thing pushing myself to finish a book that I'm not enjoying, but in truth it's a huge mistake. And with so many incredible books out there to choose from, many of which are on my shelves, it's not as though I've done nothing, I've got nothing else to read. Argyle is the mysterious Ellie Conway's first novel, but it's apparent from the way the book is written that this is intended to be the introduction to a series. I guess it's just a case of wait and see. If another Argyle book appears, then perhaps it's not just a marketing ploy for the Matthew Vaughan film due for release in just a few weeks. I have to be honest, this book hadn't even made a blip on my reading radar. While the film was everywhere with the extended promo and the sculpted handsomeness of Henry Cavill all over YouTube, the book was following the advice of the CIA, protect sensitive information, and I hadn't seen it anywhere. As I hadn't heard of it, it was quite easy to avoid any and all reviews and promotion online. As much as I enjoy reading and leaving reviews, I didn't bother to look for anything about it before I started turning the pages. I am not much of a fan of buying books based on the opinion of strangers, which is, I guess, part of the reason why I share so much of myself with you, so you know who I am and why I like and dislike the books I review. There's also the risk, of course, that I miss out on something that I could well fall in love with. Everyone has an opinion and not everyone's views will be the same, which is what I really do love about reading in general. I'm really careful when it comes to not only the books I look at, but also the reviews I use in these episodes, because more than anything, I don't want to spoil any of the book for anyone. I'm all about a lack of spoilers. When it comes to reviews in general, I think that they're a really good reflection of how different we all are. You only have to look at review sites such as Goodreads and Rotten Tomatoes or fan forums to see how many differing opinions there are on things like TV shows, books and movies. I think that a balanced view of anything you have yet to experience is important because without it, how can you judge if it's something you want to pick up for yourself? And hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share the views that I'm talking about, and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it, but that doesn't mean their opinion or mine is any less valid. This is how they truthfully felt about it. Of course, as I always say, don't let any of these reviews, including mine, sway you. Ali gave the book one star, and if her shelving of it under hated it is anything to go by, then she had pretty strong feelings. She said, This book was somehow boring and still full of stuff. Things were always happening. 
but it was just unbelievably boring. Whoever still thinks that this was written by Taylor Swift, it definitely wasn't. The protagonist would have been female. Instead, the three females presented in the books were, one, a mentor, Coffee, two, a sidekick, Carter, and three, well, let's get into that later, and somehow the writer failed to create any emotional attachment to any of the characters, including the main character. There is a fourth female that starts and ends the book, the villain's wife, who is only really present in the prologue and epilogue, and has no personality other than to tell you that the man she is connected to is scary. The plot twist at the end was an easily spotted cliché that I guessed less than halfway through the book. Honestly, even making the villains the Russians and stealing treasure from the Nazis' secret stash, it felt a lot like, instead of being about spies, they were also trying to be Indiana Jones. I dreaded having to read more of the book. I read an entire novel about a clothing brand in order to avoid reading this book. The only reason I came back to it and didn't DNF is because I was convinced it was going to get good in the last few chapters. It didn't. I've never been so bored by a shootout and the reveal of a double, then an explosion. I would not recommend this book to anyone. It kind of makes me sad that there are such good books out there that the authors don't get a second novel because they don't sell as high when this was pre-ordered because people were convinced it was by Taylor Swift. Then, because of the movie, and it'll probably get a sequel based on that and not the actual content. Reading through the reviews, it didn't take me long to find a one star. However, it did take me a little longer to find one that wasn't simply this wasn't written by Taylor Swift, or I didn't get past the first few chapters. There weren't actually many spoilers, for which I am eternally grateful, but it would have been nice to see more reviews like the one above. Obviously, more people are doing the whole not reading a book I didn't like this year than I could have imagined. I do enjoy reading through a few book reviews of a book once I've finished it, because it can be quite interesting. Having checked out the book on Goodreads, once I'd finished of course, I am surprised at how few reviews it has actually attracted. But having taken a look on NetGalley, I can see that the preview copies weren't a common thing. In fact, I wonder if more than a few were even distributed in order to maintain the mystery behind the enigma that is Ellie Conway. On Goodreads, the overall rating for the book is a very average 3.52. In fact, there isn't much more average you could get, which I have already said surprised me somewhat because the book seems to have hit its stride with the theories about the creator, the film promotion and everything else contributing. But then not every single book that could be popular and feels as though it should be manages to reach those much vaulted heights. Clearly, Argyle is one of those books, but time will tell. It's only been out a few weeks after all. There are just 609 ratings and 191 reviews currently available on Goodreads for Argyle, with the majority of readers, 230 or 37%, who finished it, giving it a four-star rating. The ratings are more skewed towards three and four star, while 85 readers or 13% of the total felt that it was deserving of just one or two. 
Natasha seemed to really enjoy the book and gave it a five-star rating and a raving review. She said, Unfortunately, I think this was the best book of the year for me, and the best, or at least solidly in the top five of spy books I have ever read. I say unfortunately due to the whole weird palaver over who the author is, and how a movie was made about the fourth book in a series as of yet unrealised books. It screams a money-making who-is-it corporate scheme and honestly detracts from a well-written book that could stand by itself. Anyway, back to the book. Despite not usually liking works written in the present tense, I could look past this easily due to the wonderful, gripping storytelling going on in Argyle. The characters were well-developed, the plot interesting, and combined my interests in spy fiction with Indiana Jones-style adventure fiction remarkably well. Funnily enough, I couldn't help comparing Argyle to the recent 007-adjacent book, Double or Nothing, by Kim Sherwood. Both books concern a team of up-and-coming spies, and yet the latter is dull lacking true connections between readers and characters, and overall confusing. Argyle, meanwhile, doesn't jump around between characters, but still lets team members get developed sufficiently for a first book. Overall, Argyle is a James Bond for the modern day and is artfully written. I'll be sorely disappointed if this is the last of Argyle and hope for more books in the near future. I bought a copy at a local bookstore in December 2023, which I believe is before its official publication date. Nobody stopped me from buying it, and I thoroughly enjoyed reading it. I've already mentioned that the vast majority of the lower-rated reviews turned out to be written by people who struggled and mostly didn't finish the book. And when I noticed that the majority of them were saying very similar things... Disappointed not necessarily with the writing style, but the possibility that Taylor Swift was not the author. As ever, what I want, expect and need from a book differs depending on the day. At the moment, I just want comfort and reassurance because I'm still recovering, as you can probably tell, from a rather nasty bout of the dreaded lurgy. It could be that what I'm looking for is not necessarily going to be the same as the next reader, when I picked up Argyle, I wasn't exa exactly sure what to expect. As spy thrillers aren't a genre, I tend to read very often. In fact, this is only the first one I've read in almost two years, since I picked up Call for the Dead by John le Carré. Part of me was hoping that it would be a book within a book with elements of humour, as I had seen the film promo. But when it became clear that this wasn't the case, I was a tad perplexed. But there was enough going on that this disparity didn't really matter. It would be lovely if, when reading through other people's reviews, I had some kind of idea of what their reading motivations were, especially when, of course, <laughs> that can affect how the book is received and how they review it. I guess this is why I think that you have to take every single review with a pinch of salt. If you're looking for a recommendation, please feel free to come to me. My inbox is always open, beingbookishpod at gmail.com. I'm going to be trying to expand my reading and my horizons this year, but I am also going to be paying attention to what I like and finding the joy in reading again. 
Last year, if I'm going to be completely honest, it felt a lot like I was going through the motions sometimes. So 2024 is going to be the year when I do things solely for me. So if you want to find out about Cozy Mysteries, the odd spy thriller, fantasy, science fiction, romance and historical fiction, then keep on listening. Of course, if you're searching for your next read and only have a little bit of time, maybe you're waiting for an airplane or something, then start by thinking about the TV shows and films that you've enjoyed recently and the sort of books you've already read and loved and go from there. It's not a guaranteed method for finding your next favourite read, but it's a good starting point and you may find an absolute gem. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Argyle by Ellie Conway, completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I went into this book pretty much blind. Having seen the film preview a few times, I was expecting something a little bit funny with a lot of action, perhaps a story within a story, something I strangely love, as the film makes quite a big thing of involving the mysterious author. Of course, I didn't know then what I do now, that the film is apparently based on the fourth book, an as yet unreleased and untitled volume. This lack of awareness about what the book was about, and to be fair, the blurb doesn't reveal that much either, meant when I started reading, I had no idea of the story, the plot, or anything else. Overall, the story seems well-formed enough. The cover appears to be right when it states, quite boldly, that it is the most incredible spy franchise since Ian Fleming. However, that declaration also comes from Matthew Vaughan, Yes, the man who possibly recruited an author, or perhaps more than one, to write the book. But here I am speculating. Nothing more. I know nothing. Aubrey Argyle is an interesting character with an even more intriguing past. The only son of two now-deceased drug dealers, he has spent most of his life hiding. Though not because he's guilty of anything, he just doesn't want to get involved in anything. Until the day he sees a plane crash from his shack in Thailand and steps in to save the day. Saving four passengers, members of the CIA who are somewhere they shouldn't be. This is the stuff that movies are made of. And it feels as though that's exactly what it was written for. Argyle has all these incredible skills, martial arts, languages good looks. Seriously, he's played by Henry Cavill. He is everything that makes up the film spy and the ideal candidate to be moulded into the ideal agent by the CIA. The plot itself is a tad convoluted and there are moments where I had to admittedly flick back a few pages, sometimes a chapter, because I swear I had to have missed something, though that could have been the painkillers. There is just one story in this book, despite the fact that there are two separate storylines which converge. One is all about Argyle and his adjustment, as he slowly starts to become a member of a team that initially didn't want him. And the other is all about Vasily Fedorov, a Russian oligarch who wants nothing more than to return the country he loves to the glory he doesn't remember, with the aid of the Amber Room. And here's a plot point that set me down a real rabbit hole because the Amber Room was an actual thing that really did vanish at some point during the Second World War. 
I, I'm going to do some more research on it later because I have to admit I'm fascinated. Anyway, Fedorov is a really nasty piece of work and his wife is not that much better. He is everything you don't want to find in someone who is seeking even more power. He is clearly intelligent and goal-oriented. Everything he is doing and everything he has done is with one goal in mind persuading the Russian people that he is the best person to lead them in the direction of global domination. It's made clear in the novel that Fedorov is not only rich and powerful, but dangerous enough that other global powers see him as a threat that they want to neutralise, whether that's by killing him or doing everything they can to prevent him from putting the clues together that will help him to find the Amber Room and fulfil the promise he has made to his people. Half of the book feels very much like an adventure, with crypts in monasteries and old Nazi trains full of gold and weapons. If it were based in the 1940s and Argyle wasn't part of the CIA, then I would say Indiana Jones. But as it's not, I'm going to go with something a tad more modern, though not much really, maybe the third national treasure. It wouldn't be a spy, successful spy thriller if the hero didn't eventually sway the unwilling co-workers to his side, proving his worth, maybe saving their lives, showing that he's worth the risk that their boss took in recruiting him. Though there are elements of Argyle's character that are certainly cliché, his skills, the way that he almost immediately proves himself a valuable and capable agent – though obviously he has attitude, because that, in my experience as a reader, is what provides an excuse for conflict and a need for resolution. He's a bit of a renegade, the one who will follow the rules but only if they suit his purpose. Despite knowing this about Argyle and also learning quite a bit about his past, thanks to the journal he keeps, the majority of characters in his circle remain something of a mystery. We know that Erin Quinn's father died in the service of the CIA, and this is why she signed up to serve. Frances Coffey is business-minded, and while she has a relatively good marriage, she is still cheating on her husband with a colleague. Kira Carter is from a traditional family, and she is terrified of revealing the truth of her sexuality to them for fear of, her, of their disapproval. Asif Samra is a loyal, hard-working man who loves his family beyond everything else. And Woody Wyatt is a regular Captain America, determined to do everything he can to serve his country. A genuine, all-American boy who is as honest as the day is long, but doesn't like to be the bottom of the class in anything. Coffee calls it right when she tells Argyle that Wyatt is honest. And when he makes a mistake, he is the person to hold his hand up and acknowledge responsibility. Of course, Argyle and Wyatt are going to knock heads a time or two, because they are two sides of the same coin, though neither can initially see it. The rest of the characters felt like names on the page added so that there was a little more to focus on. Unfortunately, they are less than memorable at least to me. In fact, I can't even remember their names and I only finished the book a couple of days ago, which is not like me at all. Argyle, as the centre of the story, certainly maintains that role and holds the attention well. We know more about him than we do about anyone else, though his motivation is sometimes somewhat questionable. 
quite clearly we're meant to feel that he is incredibly noble and doing what he believes is right for the right reasons, even though his family was a target of the CIA and other letter agencies due to their own habit of living on the very wrong side of the law. This in itself feels as though it's meant to make you, as the reader, question his actions and possibly believe him to be the guy selling out his fellow Americans as they're on their mission. Overall, the book isn't a bad one, but it took me a little bit of time to read, probably a combination of the side effects of the dreaded Lurgy and my struggle to get into the story. The plot is certainly full of action, which is what I want when it comes to a book that sells itself on that particular premise. However, I just found the formation of the characters were lacking that something which makes the story and book one I was able to sink into and forget the rest of the world in. Would I read it again? Likely not. However, I would probably read the next one, if only to see if there is any improvement in the single dimension that was Kira Carter. I guess this is why I, like many who reviewed it, feel that Argyle was written by a man. While the male characters were given development and layers, their female counterparts never felt as though they were more than words on a page, which is a little bit disappointing. In many ways, I think that this is probably a good introductory spy thriller. It's a little bit frothy, while also enjoying many convoluted elements. Personally, this feels like a bit of a modern James Bond without the martini and the women. It certainly enjoys the inclusion of the stereotypical wealthy, power-hungry bad guy. What surprised me most about the book? The thing which surprised me most about this book wasn't the story itself. It is more the mystery surrounding how the book came to be. There are a lot of intriguing theories from the book being commissioned by Matthew Vaughan to the more famous one about it being Taylor Swift. Whoever wrote the book, the author or the agent or the publishers have gone to a great deal of trouble to create a credible background for Ellie Conway. In the front of the book, there is even a letter from the author about how the character came along at a time in her life when she really needed saving. So whether it's Ms. Swift, a fictional creation, a collection of authors, or a real author with the name Ellie Conway, they have certainly got a crack marketing team at their disposal, one that I would love to work with me on promoting this podcast. If you're looking for something like this or you loved Argyle and want something else, then you'll love these. Yeah, well, this week there I'm going to be a bit different because I do not have a list of recommendations. This genre is not my area of expertise at all. So if you are a huge fan of the spy thriller, send me some recommendations, please. Or if you want to find out more about the books available outside of James Bond and Smiley, check out Spybury on Instagram, a fantastic spy novel resource. I'll post a link to his feed in my notes. Quite often, the beginning of the year is a time when I manage to read a lot for some reason, I find my rhythm and I work my way through a good number of books. Of course, this year, things haven't quite gone as I would have wanted, though I have managed to pick up a few books and clear them from my toppling TBR. 
As I've already mentioned, my pre-order list is already quite long, with some of the books not due for release until September. And I have no doubt at all that I will be adding even more before long. Waterstones is always announcing more beautiful special editions with edges I just cannot resist. And then, of course, there are the many books I get in subscription boxes, though I am contemplating where I stand with those right now. I love surprises. I really do. But sometimes they are books that I know I won't read. And they just end up sitting on a shelf looking sadly at the books I plan to consume. That's not to say that I haven't enjoyed some great books from both Fairy Loot and Locked Library. But sometimes I look at the books in the box and groan, not only because the definition of adult and YA fantasy seems to be such a blurred and loose one, but also because the books really aren't ones I have any desire to open. I've decided to do myself a huge favour this year and using my chosen word of 2024, which is joy, I am not going to continue the book buying ban I inflicted on myself at the end of 2023. If I want a book, then I'm going to buy it, as long as it doesn't send me into an overdraft. Just as if I'm not enjoying a book, I am not going to continue reading it, just because I feel I should finish it. Reading is meant to be a joy, something fun, a way to relax and escape, at least once you're no longer reading English Lit at uni. I'm sure a few of you can get behind that one. Now that I have decided to stop restricting myself... If you have any book recommendations, please email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads and other reviews that I have done during the month. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. And now that we are into the new year and I'm finally feeling human again, the plans are actually in place. Well, that's it for this week. I've got to thank you so much for continuing to listen if you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you might listen. You can also follow me on Instagram as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews and on X as Being Underscore Bookish. And you can find newer episodes and some book themed shorts and a few videos on YouTube where I am at Being Bookish Pod. Or, of course, you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I have a few things left to do before I begin another week at work, and I really want to get my next read started, though right now I have no idea what it's going to be. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.